This morning I'd like to look at Matthew 6, verse 25 through verse 34. Two weeks ago we looked at the preceding verses where Jesus was teaching about how we should view money and possessions. Now in these verses, he moves on from teaching about possessions and material things to speaking about worry. And you know, it's not just a coincidence that Jesus followed up teaching about money and possessions with teaching about worry. If you think about it, the two go hand in hand. It seems that it's our natural tendency to worry and fret about material things. If we don't have the money or the possessions that we feel like that we should, we fret about how how are we going to get it. And if we do have it, we fret about how we're going to keep it. And it's human tendency. And it's not just those who have been blessed with a lot that tend to worry. It's a, it's a trait, I think, that is common to all of us. So I think that we all have something to learn from this passage. This time let's read Matthew six twenty-five through the end of the chapter. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, Nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, betaking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today, today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus begins here in verse 25 by referring back to the previous verses when he says, therefore. He's saying, because of what I just said previously. So, he's referring back to where he had told us not to focus on storing up earthly possessions. Not to build up earthly treasures, but treasures in heaven. Also, he taught us 
to have a single eye or a generous eye looking out for others. And he also taught the great truth that we cannot serve both God and mammon or material things. So that's what he's referring back to when he says, therefore. So in light of his teaching on material things, he says we should take no thought for what we would eat, what we would drink, or what we would wear. That phrase, to take no thought, uh, might be a little hard for us to Understand. I don't believe he was saying that we shouldn't even think about these things. But rather, uh, as different translations have interpreted it, as we should take no anxious thought, or we should not worry. The idea of you know, worrying and fretting over these things. As I said earlier, worry... Anxiety is part of our human nature. We tend to find ourselves worrying and being anxious over those things that may happen, but yet we feel like we can't necessarily control. It's our way of grasping to be in control of that which we're not really in control of. It's in some ways, a, a mental uh, a mental exercise to our mental effort to become the master of our own destiny. Somehow, as humans, we feel like that worrying and fretting over something will somehow put us in control. And I'm going to admit up front that I'm I'm a warrior and and I come from a long line of warriors uh, worrying is in my family history and so this is something that I need and I was amazed as I I guess it was last evening that I realized how this ties in with our Sunday school lesson this morning on unbelief. Because worry is the opposite of trust. If, if we have complete trust in God, we're, we're going to tend not to have a lot of worries. And so I believe it ties in with with how much we trust God, how much we believe in his promises. And so worry is being the opposite of, uh, is the opposite of trust. And so I think we can see here that worry and anxious thoughts about these things are not God's plan or his will for us. God has something else in mind for his children other than worrying and fretting over all these things of life. So in verse 25, Jesus says we shouldn't 
take thought about, about what we're going to eat or drink or wear. And you know, that covers the necessities of life. Uh, I believe it was the Apostle Paul said that having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And, you know, we'd want to add you know, a roof over our heads. But, you know, basically the Apostle Paul was saying we, it's God's children, are called to be content with, with the necessities. And that's what Jesus is saying, that, that don't worry about, these, about the necessities of life, that, that God can provide, God will provide. I think he's trying to drive home to us that we can trust God for those necessities. He says, is our life not more important than these things? Is, isn't our life more important than food and clothes and drink and well, you know, those things are pretty important to us. But yet, the gift of life is so much greater than those things that sustain life. God the Creator has created life and given each one of us here today life. And I think Jesus is saying that if God has loved us so much to give us life, in this world, he will also give us what is necessary to sustain life. God's plan wasn't to create life and then not to sustain it. God's life, God's purpose wasn't to create us and give us life and then put us here on earth to suffer and struggle and uh, have a hard time surviving. I think God has a keen interest in the survival of his of man, his, his the crown of his creation. We can see that when we look at the creation account and look at how that God created Adam and Eve. And he put them there in the Garden of Eden, and he gave them everything they needed for life. They had the perfect environment. They had all the food and and everything they needed. And it does say that God commanded Adam to, to think the term that's used there is to dress the garden. I think Adam and Eve probably had work. They probably had tasks to perform. But yet, their every need was provided for by their creator. And it was through the entrance of sin into that creation, into creation that that the, that perfect perfectness of creation was marred. And it was at that point that I believe that man suddenly had the motivation to worry. Because before the fall of man had descended, before the curse that was brought by sin, every need of man was provided for. But after the curse, man found himself needing to work hard physically to provide for his daily needs. So 
I believe we could say that worry and anxiety are part of the curse that was brought upon man when Adam and Eve sinned. Because think about it, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, before the, the curse of sin was upon the earth, there would have been no need for any anxiety or worry. We're still living in a world that is marred by that curse of sin. But we need to remember that in, in these passages here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out for us the way for us to find our way back to the blessings that God intended for his people. It's not that the curse of sin is done away with and doesn't have an effect on us anymore. But I believe that in a spiritual sense that Jesus here is showing us God's way to live. And it's a way for us to experience God's blessing in spite of living in a sin-cursed world. I believe that what he's saying here is that what we know from our human perspective as normal for our existence is not God's original design for us. And that there is a way for us to experience the blessing of God's original intent for mankind. Jesus uses as an example of God's provision, the birds of the air. How that God cares for them and supplies for their daily need. And you know, birds don't store up food. I think there's one species that I know of that does to a certain extent. But as a general rule, birds do not store up food for tomorrow or months ahead. They simply wake up every morning and go get it. It's there. God provides. And he says that, aren't you much more valuable than the birds? And if God loves and provides for them, won't he provide for you as well? So is Jesus telling us by saying this that, we can be so worry-free that we don't even have to work? Absolutely not. The one commentator said this, that no one works harder than the average sparrow to earn a living. And I thought that was kind of cute. Because if you ever observe the birds, they are always busy. Now, I understand that this time of year especially, you know, they'll sit around and sing and stuff, but especially in the wintertime. We've, we've got, a, got bird feeders and a lot of birds, and the birds are always busy. They don't just sit around and wait for God to put the food beside of them. They're out looking for it. But they find it. It's there. God's provided. So this passage isn't telling us to be lazy and just sit around and to trust God to provide but it's telling us to be diligent or to be diligent or to work or to trust God for the results. 
And I had to wonder if one of our greatest failures in this area is to not be content with having our needs provided for, but rather we have a big long list of wants and desires that if they're not fulfilled, it drives us to go beyond what God's calling us to do, to try to attain for ourselves something more. Notice that the birds weren't laying up for months ahead. That they were working for what they needed for the day and content with what God provided for that day. And I think the lesson there for us is to trust God for our needs and not to fret so much about the future, laying up for tomorrow. And I don't think that means that we shouldn't be putting food in the freezer for the next winter, etc. But rather that we shouldn't be shouldn't have an undue concern about preparations for the future. Rather a trust in God's provisions. I think the theme of Jesus' teaching here is trust and contentment in God's provision. As well as, as, as a recognition, for us to have a recognition that God loves and cares for his creation. And especially for, his, for, for mankind, the made in the likeness and image of God. Verse 27, he goes on to point out that God as the creator and sustainer of life is ultimately in control. He says that we can't by worrying add height to our our bodies. And some translations translate that, that you can't add an hour or a moment to your life. And, you know, how tall we are and how long we live It's pretty much out of our control. It's God that determines these things. And if he can determine those things, can't he determine the other factors of our lives as well? Yet we find ourselves fretting and worrying about things that we have little control over rather than trusting God. Verse 28, he tells us not to worry about our clothing, what we're going to wear. Based upon his observation of the creation, and he uses the lilies, and he says that even Solomon, in all his splendor, in all his glory, was not dressed like one of the lilies. Solomon lived, he was king of probably one of the most prosperous nations ever to exist on the earth. That little brief time period of the rule of David and the rule of Solomon over the kingdom of Israel was a time of of 
tremendous uh, wealth. It says that in Solomon's time that silver was as common as stones in Jerusalem. And, you know, that's something that's just hard to comprehend, that silver, you wouldn't count it any more valuable than just stones. And so Solomon, I'm sure, was dressed in finery that, like we can't even imagine. But yet Jesus says that even Solomon was not dressed as splendidly as God has dressed the lilies of the field. We often take for granted the beauty and the splendor and the intricate designs of nature. Things that God has created. But you know, when you think about it, man has yet to come close, to come anywhere close to matching the beauty of God's creation, the things that God has made. Yet, we as humans find ourselves worrying and fretting over things that are man-made, that are supposed to enhance our looks. The fashion industry, I didn't look it up, but I'm sure it is a multi-billion dollar industry. And that multi-billion dollar industry is based on the belief that we can buy man-made things that will make us look good. And yet man has not made anything that comes anywhere close to the beauty of the things that God has created. And I think Jesus is saying that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we worry, no matter how hard we try to attain through material things, through clothing, we're never going to come close to the beauty that God has created and the beauty that God intended for his creation. As I was studying that, it struck me that what Jesus is saying here is completely in line, and we would expect it to be, but it's completely in line with what is taught elsewhere in the scriptures about dress. And I'd like to turn to one passage and just point out the comparison here. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, 1 through 4, and Peter here is, is speaking to, to women, to wives specifically. I'd like to read 1 through 4. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning, of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. 
Here we have Peter saying that these women were not to adorn themselves with clothing, with jewelry, with uh, hairstyles. You know, seeking after adornment that, that the world would promote. But rather, he says, that they should adorn themselves with a meek and quiet spirit. Which is of a great price or great value to God. What he's saying is that inward beauty of a meek, quiet spirit, a godly spirit, is much more beautiful, much more valuable than anything that we can put on the outside. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6. That all of the finery that we can put on to make ourselves attractive and beautiful pales in comparison with what God created, with what God intended for his creation. So if we want to have a beauty that rivals the beauty of the lilies of the field that he talked about here, that beautiful creation of God, we need to put on the inward beauty. And I think that's the beauty that God originally intended and desired for his creation to have. Not something man-made. And while this passage in, in Peter is speaking of, to the women, I believe it's true for us men as well. Uh, you know, we, can, we can listen to the, the, fashion, the, the, the fashionistas of the world and we can follow their styles and buy all of their things. But it pales in comparison to what God's original intent and desire is for his people. And so Jesus says, don't worry about those things. There's another way that's more beautiful. It's God's way. He also says, in verse 32, that we're not to be anxious and worried about these things because he said those are the things that the Gentiles or the heathen, those people that don't know God, those are the things that they seek after. Those people don't have a faith and a belief and a loving and benevolent Heavenly Father that cares for them. They don't believe in a creator that created them and gave them life and his, and his loving provision wants to sustain their life. And so they find themselves in a race to attain all of these things. They have no one to trust but themselves to supply these needs. So they run after all of these things. 
But Jesus tells us, as his, as his children, as his, as his followers, Jesus assures us that we can drop out of that race for material things and instead place our trust in our Heavenly Father who knows our needs for all of these things. Paul said in Ephesians four seventeen and 18, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. See what that says? It says that their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance, the blindness of their hearts. And so in their blindness, these material things are the focus of life. It's what they run after. And Paul says, walk not as those Gentiles walk, as those unbelievers walk. And I challenge you that if we find ourselves worrying and seeking after the same things that our unbelieving neighbors are striving for, we better be taking a serious look at our life. Because Jesus is telling us that there should be a marked difference between the pursuits of the believer and the pursuits of the non-believer. So, to this point, Jesus has been saying, don't take thought, don't you, don't worry, don't this, don't that. But then in verse 33, he tells us what we should do. He tells us what our focus should be on. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And this is the key verse. We can get hung up on what we shouldn't be pursuing or be wrapped up in or, or how, how all that should play out in our lives. You know, that's something that Jesus just said, you know, take no thought for these things. He didn't tell us how that plays out in our daily life. But I believe that if we focus on this command to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're going to find those other things falling in place. And so how do we seek first the kingdom of God? You know, that's, that's a difficult question to answer in itself. That's probably something we could have an entire sermon on. But in a nutshell, we seek the kingdom of God first by putting the things of God first, by following his commands, by laying down our own desires in favor of God's will and desires. And Jesus says that the person who does that will be rewarded. Will that person be wealthy? 
Will that person have all their desires met? Probably not. But will they experience God's care and provisions? I think we can say with assuredness, yes, they will. Another aspect of seeking God's kingdom first that we need to not fail in is that of brotherhood. I believe that one of one way that God intends to meet the needs of those who are seeking him first is through brotherhood sharing, through the provision of others who are at the same time seeking God first. So if our focus is on ourselves, on our own personal gain, on what I can lay up for myself, we end up shortchanging others within the family of God. So not only as we seek first the kingdom or our needs be met, but we're going to become a part of meeting the needs of others who are seeking first the kingdom of God as well. Jesus goes on then in verse 34 to say that we're not to take thought or not to worry about tomorrow. And I know the reality of fretting about the future. And I dare say every one of us here are guilty of it. There's nothing that worrying will change about tomorrow. And so it's a challenge for us to take Jesus' words at face value and to not worry about tomorrow. Jesus says that we need to live within the day that God has given us to live in. We're not promised tomorrow, but we do have today. And we can trust God for tomorrow. What a challenge for us to trust God and not to worry. Because it seems, as I said before, that worry is part of our human DNA. But I think that Jesus is telling us here that it doesn't need to be. The opposite of worry is trust. We need to realize that we have a wonderful opportunity to place our trust in the almighty creator God who not only created us but it also desires to sustain us along with the rest of his creation as we diligently seek him and his kingdom I was challenged greatly as I studied for this by a sentence that I read in a commentary it said this worry is essentially distrust of God 
And I, I looked at that and I thought, I, I can't argue with that statement, that worry is essentially a distrust of God. And if that's true, how many times I have not trusted God. That statement really hit me between the eyes. We have the opportunity to trust God so often, but yet, instead of trusting Him, instead of giving our burdens over to Him, we try to carry them ourselves with our worries. So what a reminder this passage is, and what a challenge to trust God completely, to focus on seeking his kingdom with our lives, to be content with his provisions, and to find the peace and the rest that can come through that. And I think as we do that, we're going to once again find that God's way is best. May God bless you. Way of song.